Two weeks ago, during Transformation Groups, um, we wrote down what we think we are. If you remember that exercise, we were all in here as a group. We had a whiteboard. We were writing things down that we think we are. Um, In the next few weeks, we're going to examine your own words. Uh, We're going to examine what you think you are, why you think you are. We're going to see if it's satisfactory. Okay? And where that might lead us. Um, Again, I I was going to do a PowerPoint, but... Honestly, I just ran out of time doing the PowerPoint for the um, Sunday school. Um, so from the list, the first thing you put down, it was actually two words. We're going to start with that one because it's rather ironic to start with this, and that is the words welcoming and inviting. So you have the words welcoming on the list, and you have the words inviting on the list, and I think they pair well. We're going to be in Luke 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, Brian preached on that this morning, too, because he likes to steal my thunder. Um, That's how it works. Um, But we're in Luke. He was in the one in Matthew. Um, And if you want to flip ahead in your Bibles, you can do that, Luke 10. But before that, let's pray. Let's pray real quick, okay? Father God, as we begin to better understand the ideas of being a welcoming and inviting people and what hospitality looks like as the church, um, what love looks like as the church, as we talked about last week. Uh, Lord, may we be honest with how we um, stand before you in these categories. Um, may we see what ways we can be better at it um, and way we take steps to move forward uh, to do your will. In your son's name, amen. I remember being a seventh grader. We showed up at a new church, new town we had just moved to. I definitely at this point, was not a Christian. And church had not been a habit of life for a while. We are now living in the South, which meant that my clothing choices for Sunday morning were now very different. I had on a Hawaiian shirt, or a dress shirt equivalent, which just means there's slightly less palm trees or flowers. My spiked hair and shark tooth necklace informed the population of students that I was walking into that I definitely wasn't from around here. And as we walked down the hallway to the area where everyone gathered for Sunday school, there were over a hundred middle school students hanging out. It was March. They had gotten to know each other over the course of the school year and probably over the course of their time just in ministry together. I, on the other hand, had just showed up and could barely understand their conversations because of their accents, let alone be involved in that. I walked in the main doorway, and I kind of stood there. Me and my brother, I'm sure sure my brother David was with me, and my folks were probably watching, knowing them from about 20 feet behind us to kind of see what would happen. I was then approached by two girls, Mary Shelby and Cheryl Ely. Now, this was shocking for two reasons. Yep, that's her last name. First, girls were approaching me. Second, second, they were cute. And as any former boy in the room can attest, this was a shocking moment. I probably didn't say much, other than one or two word answers 
throughout the whole conversation. Girls, what's your name? Me, thinking, what's my name again? <laughs> Finally saying, AJ, 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 girls, have you been here before? Me, thinking, have I been in shock before? Yes. Have I felt a little singled out? Yes. Was I speechless before? Regularly. <laughs> Finally speaking, no. <laughs> girls, would you like to sit with us? Me, finally speaking before I thought, yes. <laughs> then realizing the implications of said response, I would probably have to talk further with them. But sitting down in that room, in a seat that was reserved just for me, next to two girls I'd never met, did indeed loosen my tongue a little bit. They began to ask me questions. Where had I moved from? What school was I going to? How I handled the snow a few days prior? What I liked to do for fun if I was going to be at youth group that evening? Or I think it was that Wednesday night. I don't remember the rest of Sunday school time. But I remember the feeling as I left. I had felt welcomed. I had felt valued. I was literally invited to the next hangout time. And you could say, based on last week's discussion, that I had felt loved. I had felt loved. They were committed, if you remember last week's discussion, to get to know me. They were committed to get to know me. They sat with me. They sat with me. They wanted the best for me, being an advocate, so they invited me to get to know more people at youth group that following Wednesday. They wanted me to head in the same direction as them. There was untuness, even if it was just a first impression of untuness. And if you think about it, I don't remember the names of a lot of people from my youth group, but those two girls' names, even 15 years later, I remember off the tip of my tongue. Because that was my first impression. Mary and Cheryl were welcoming and inviting. I don't know if you've had a similar story in Christ's community or not. And really, as we discuss what it looks like to be Christ's community, Christ's community, it doesn't matter. What matters is how we move forward. How we welcome and invite people today, this week and next week, and every week thereafter. Because you just don't stop inviting at some point. Because we are right, you are right, when you wrote on that board that we should be welcoming and inviting. But our definition, if we are Christ's community, must be more than an acknowledgement of someone's existence. Welcoming and inviting has to be more than simply an acknowledgement of someone else's existence. There is more to loving your neighbor as yourself than a high. So let's look at the text today and pull from it what welcoming should look like. We're going to be at Luke 10, 25 through 37. Do I have any takers to read for me? My voice is becoming to get shot. It's my third time teaching today. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said this to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, and, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now if you're paying attention, you have to ask what on earth this has to do with welcoming AJ. We are not planning on robbing or beating anyone who comes in the front door here at the church. But if we are Christ's community, we must learn how to love our neighbor. What does that look like in everyday life? Because in Frisco, believe it or not, maybe you have a different experience living in one of the wealthiest towns in America. You will rarely walk down the street in Frisco, McKinney, Prosper, wherever you are living, and find someone battered and bloody in the gutter. Hey, You will rarely find that. So, loving your neighbor must mean more than that. And of course it does. Look, people do this all the time. At least great speakers do. Jesus is using an extreme analogy. But for the vast majority of his audience, they will not find beat up Jews on the side of the road on the way to Jericho. But he's using the extreme to highlight the everydayness of what he is asking. So, what are the things we can pull from the story? The first is your first fill in the blank, which is this. Welcoming meets needs. Welcoming meets needs. When I showed up at youth group as a seventh grader for that Sunday school... I was not bloody, beaten, and lying in a ditch. But that does not mean, as a 7th grader, I did not have needs. I had just moved to the area. I needed stability. I had just lost all my friends. I needed someone to talk to and listen to. I was trying to fit in. Poorly with the Hawaiian shirt and the shark tooth necklace and the spiked hair. But I needed someone to acknowledge me. I needed security. I needed someone to tell me it was going to be all right. I needed encouragement. I needed a place to ask questions. And probably much more on a long list that I could probably fill out if I spent the time doing it. The man in the ditch, yes, needed physical help. But let me ask you this question. What help do you need? 
What help do you need? The Christian life is not just about how I am doing as an individual, but especially about how we are doing as the church and how and what I am doing in the mix of others called the church. That's Scott McKnight. And what might help our neighbor in need? What might help the neighbors that you have in need? What does helping the new kid look like? What does meeting the needs of the loner look like? The gamer, the jock, the thespian, you name it. What help might they need? What help might they need? I'll let you in on a little secret. We all need a little help. And if you think you don't, you're a fool. You are not complete. You have not reached your final destination. Your loading of your program to who you are is not yet done. And we know as Christians that the only way to complete each other is through the church. The things that you're lacking, you should have a brother or sister in Christ that makes up for. It is in the one anothering that we become more like our creator, Jesus, who is one of three persons and best become who we are meant to be. We need each other. We need to understand that. And then we need to acknowledge that when that new person walks in the room. They need someone too. So what needs can of your neighbor can you meet? And if you don't know, hang around them long enough. It'll become apparent. Needs typically are not hidden. Two. Second, next fill in the blank. Welcoming checks in later. Welcoming checks in later. The Good Samaritan met the immediate physical needs of the person found in a ditch. And then in verse 35 says this. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, Take care of him and whatever you spend I will repay you when I come back. Look. He had done plenty for this guy, right? He actually stopped, got off his animal, loaded a bloody, beaten, dead guy onto his now dirty, bloody, like, transportation, took him to an inn, clearly was there for him for at least one night because it says the next morning he talked to the innkeeper about it. it says, I'll pay whatever. Okay, He did not have to do that. He could have said to the innkeeper, option one, look, I'm sure this guy has money. He wouldn't have been robbed if he was broke and homeless. I'm sure he can cover the remainder of the expenses. Like he could have done that, right? Like he's probably got, he's probably good. I did my part. Check. And I tweeted about it. Here's me and the new and the bloody guy in the ditch. Hashtag Good Samaritan. 
Option two. Option two. Look, this guy's a Jew. Jews take care of their own. Talk to the synagogue. They literally have funds set up for this. Talk to the synagogue. You're fine. Option three. This is Rome's fault. Send them the bill. They should have been patrolling these highways. If they really want to save kingdom, they'd care about it. Send the bill to Caesar. Okay? Option four is the option he does. Without any reason to, outside of love for a neighbor, he takes care of it and says he will come back to care for anything else. It's not just a one-time occurrence. It's not just a one-time occurrence. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes a first impression and only impression can be great. My bet is that you will meet people over the course of your life that you are super impressed with. And stick with you. The ticket counter lady at Disney World when we were there last May, you're amazing. We get there an hour early because we screwed up. Somebody, I don't know who, read the instructions wrong and we got to the park like an hour before it was supposed to open. So we're like really early. Yeah, be quiet. Okay. And like, and she's like, good morning. Welcome to Disney World. I'm like, okay, uh, I'm not at my second coffee yet. I need to get it once we're inside the park, right? And she's like, well, this is how you do it. This is how you sign up for the rides on the passes. This is what you need to do. We actually open an hour early so you can walk into the park and see all the shops on Main Street. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, do you have any questions? We have, yeah, we have like two or three more questions. She was like the nice, I'm like, I'll hire you to do anything. They stuck with me. I'll never meet that woman again. Unless I go back to Disney World, which hopefully. Like, but like, the chances are, and those first impressions are great. And that's awesome. But when someone makes the second effort in life, it says everything. The second effort says everything. I showed up at youth group that Wednesday night at the new church in Charlotte. And you know who greeted me? Cheryl and Mary. By name. Hey, AJ. Soon. I was sucked into a game of knockout with some of the other guys. I met new people over the course of youth group and became part of the group. Mary, Cheryl, and I didn't become best friends. But they said hi every week. They wanted to catch up on life, see how I was doing. And most importantly, at that point, I wanted to catch up with them too. They made a second effort and a third effort. And we were friends all throughout high school. We didn't have to be best friends, but I very much respected them and I thought they were awesome. We can take the advice of the great theologian Arnold Schwarzenegger when he says, I'll be back. I'll be back. Hey? So have you, so have you made the second attempt How have you made the second attempt? How do we go about making second points of contact? When do we re-ask? Is there a point when we should ever stop coming back? Or do we limit friendships that way too? Is there ever a point where we should stop or do we limit friendships that way too? The last point I want to make in today's sermon is this, or fireside chat. Third, 
Welcoming starts on the other side of the door. Welcoming starts at the other side of the door. This is not how the story of the Good Samaritan went. There was once a Good Samaritan. Someone knocked on his door. He was bloody from being assaulted. And so the Good Samaritan said, What happened to you? Let me take you down to the inn so they can take care of you. Don't worry, I'll pay for everything. Just don't get blood on my floor. Or, there was once a Good Samaritan who opened his front door to go to work and tripped on a bloody dude who had been beat outside his home. And he said, not again. Well, someone has to clean this up. The Good Samaritan was just doing life. He was just doing life. Going about his normal business, just like the priest and the Levite. But several things made him different from the other two people. First, it's your next fill in the blank. He was more concerned about people than where he was going. He was more concerned about people than where he was going. Frisco, America, is a fast-paced world. It's a fast-paced world. I get it. You know it. You've got one activity followed by another, then another. There is a reason restaurants are such a hot commodity in this town. Because no one has time to cook. I mean, think about it. We have one of the most highest restaurants per person in the country. We don't even got time to be in the kitchen. This is how busy our culture is. Um, I have a sign that hangs in my office. It says this, A man that is too busy to pray is more busy than God has him to be. You could add a significant amount of other godly tasks to that list too. And I think this one fits. It's your next one in the blank. A man or woman that is too busy to be the hands of Christ has his hands in places that God doesn't want him. A man or woman that is too busy to be the hands of Christ has his hands in places that God doesn't want him. Are you on the crazy train in life? Or will you get off the rails and take a walk in the ditches beside them? You might find some people who have been thrown off the train down there. Next, fill in the blank. He was more concerned about the stranger's well-being than his own. He was more concerned about the stranger's well-being than his own. Look, let me be real. Helping someone is about 90% of the time costly. The vast majority of the time, if you are to help anybody, it will cost you. You will sacrifice your time. You will sacrifice your money. You will sacrifice your energy. And most of the time, they are ungrateful. The vast majority of the time, when you help somebody, they are ungrateful. Or they don't take stock for what you've done to them. They might say thank you, but that would be the end of it. For all we know, this Jew woke up in the story and was appalled that the lowly Samaritan touched him. James 1.12 says this, Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What are we counting in that verse? 
What are we counting in that verse? This idea of count it, all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. What we're counting there is the cost. And may we not see it as a loss, but may we see all strangers' well-being as all joy. And may it not be a cost of loss, but may we realize how much we gain when our time and money and energy is sacrificed. This is your last fill in the blank, and this is what he did. He realized that God controlled his schedule. He didn't. He realized that God controlled his schedule. He didn't. My favorite meme from about five years ago is this. Ain't nobody got no time for that. My favorite meme for like the next three years. 2012, yeah. Because we are convinced that we have to run by the world's schedule and not God's schedule. If you have ever said, I don't have time for a good task that God has put before you, you might need to reevaluate how you use your time. Okay? Now, I'm not talking to Joe here, because she's got, she don't have no more time, right? But I am talking to the rest of us, because most of us are like, I don't got time. And then I'm like, so, did you catch up on The Flash? Man, I binged it this week. All four episodes. How much time you spend on YouTube? Uh, okay, I spent some time this week there, but I don't have the time to do anything else. I literally remember having this conversation about a year ago where a student, let's say former student, so I don't get people in trouble. So you're not looking around the room. It could be one of you. I'm not. You don't know. Um, our former student said, yeah, I just don't have time to help out around the house. I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do my homework. I don't have time to um, whatever, right? I don't have time to come to church. And then I asked that student, I said, this was later on in the conversation. I said, this was like 30 minutes later in the conversation. I said, what games have you been playing lately? He's like, dude, I've been playing Skyrim nonstop. And I was like, Skyrim, what do you mean? Which is a multi, you know, multiplayer online game. And he said, oh yeah, I play like four hours a night with friends. And I was like, so, but you just told me 30 minutes ago that you had no time to get anything done. Well. Which is all you can say, right? Like, well. And we can make fun of that person. But we all spend our time on good things. Riding a scooter is good. Okay? Social media is good. Video games are good. They all have their place. But is it rarely as high on the list as we typically put them? Is it typically as high on the list as they should be? If you want, if you're serious about being a welcoming and inviting community at Yak, you have to start welcoming people into your life outside these walls. You have to. You can't just come into Yak and then turn it on. Okay, I'm the greeter today. I got this for 10 minutes. No, it has to become something that's part of your lifestyle so that when you come to Yak, it's bleeding over. When we talk about creating culture, culture by its very definition moves outside walls. 
So if we want to be a culture that's welcoming and inviting, that means we need to hold each other accountable to be welcoming and inviting outside these walls. We can't just show up here and turn it on. It does not work this way in life. Please don't learn that the hard way. It's a habit that needs to be fostered, built up, and cared for. So let's shoot to be a welcoming body all the time, especially when it costs us.